Got it. You'll have time at the end. Yeah. Uh, but if you can subconsciously yeah, it's, put like, I'm in there. All right, we are good to go. I'm yeah. uh, rolling with camera one. Okay, I'm going to roll with my sound. All right. Okay, um, yours is gone. Let yeah. Having me. What's that sound? They are working there. I think we should be good as long as they're not too loud, honestly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hello, and welcome to the Farm One podcast, coming to you from our vertical farm here in Brooklyn. Uh, we want to use this podcast to help you to discover new York food stories and really become more thoughtful about your food. My name's Rob Lang. I'm the CEO and founder of Farm One. And this is actually the first time that we filmed. Thanks for having me. I feel so special. I'm the yeah. first one. We started building this farm a couple of months ago. And actually... It's like a blank space. Yeah. So I'm very impressed in such a short amount of time. Yeah. It is very lush and green and... Yeah really nice and I've been able to taste a couple of things so that's exciting it's fun she's recognized by essence magazine as one of the five nutritionists who will change the way you think about your food very prestigious yeah uh, and she's a registered dietitian uh, she has over nine years of experience she also has yeah so I'm my parents biggest disappointment because I'm not a doctor we talk about that all the time this is like the typical like immigrant story um, my mom is from Haiti my dad is from Spain so I actually went to college and was a biology major to start, uh, but then I was like, I don't really want to work that hard. So I decided to shift to history, which my parents are still upset about. And then afterwards I was like, oh, I'm just gonna get a, a degree in marketing. That feels like, sure. So I did that, I worked in marketing, but I always was interested in science. And after college, I had, in college I had gained 50 pounds because I was just eating, right? I didn't. I never really had any kind of like emotional ties to food per se, but my mother was always making my meals. And so then when I got to school, I was just eating whatever was given to me. And so I really didn't understand. Of course, when I moved back home and I went back to eating my mom's food, I lost all this weight. I didn't really know how. So I went and met with a registered dietitian and I thought like, oh, this is so interesting, right? Because I'm interested in food, but I'm also still interested in science. And this sort of marries the two and yeah. sort of how I got here. And this is like the typical like immigrant story. Um, my mom is from Haiti, my dad is from Spain. So I actually went to college and was a biology major to start. Uh, but yeah, so a registered dietitian has to do 1200 hours, they have to be clinically supervised, they have to take an exam. And so that's sort of the gold standard, right? That's really what you want, especially if you have some kind of chronic condition or illness. Even if you're really confused about food, they are educated to educate you about food and how it affects your bodies. Health coaches and nutritionists are limited because they don't understand that science piece, which is really the integral piece that can help bring everything together. So there's definitely use for them, but if you are really looking for something that is gonna give you like longevity and really make things clearer for you, you wanna go with a registered dietitian. Oh, this is so interesting, right? Because I'm interested in food, but I'm also still interested in science, and this sort of marries the two, and yeah. sort of how I got here. Amazing. It's so interesting because bless social media, right? It's given us this platform. And, you know, I, I would be remiss to not note the fact that, like, yes, I am verified and people do consider me an influencer in the space. So 
you can trust me, right? And that's good. But then there's all those people out there that are telling you, you know, like the water challenge or I can't, people call me and they're like, did you hear this TikTok thing? I'm like, I don't, I have two small children and a job. I can't spend a lot of time on TikTok. Um, so it, it's interesting, but please look at these things with a discerning eye. Reach out to people that you might think are credible. Even if you could just do a Google search, you will be able to see, like, there are some studies out there. Maybe this isn't the best thing that I need to do and sort of make your decisions from there. But don't take what you see on TikTok or Instagram as gospel with a registered dietitian. Especially now, right, on TikTok, Instagram, oh I feel like everything I see, there's some... Yeah, so I actually, uh, I worked in like all facets of nutrition for a really long time, and then I decided to just have a private practice, so I had a private, I have a private practice still to this day, uh, but the director who had been there for 25 years was promoted to be a dean, and she called me and was like, I got promoted, and I'm like, great, good for you, and she was like, no, no, so can you take over my job? I was like, oh, wow, cool, so now I basically curate their experience, right? I make sure they get into the right hospital placement, I mentor them, I teach them how to be good dietitians, um, and all the things in between. It's really fun and exciting. It's, it's important to mentor students through this space, which is really cluttered, and it's hard to navigate through, and you don't know what's what, and also you don't realize that you can do a lot of different things. Yeah. So historically, a dietitian wouldn't think like, oh, I can go work on a farm. Right, like they wouldn't think like, what, what is the value that I can offer? And so being able to mentor them through that because I do have that marketing background and then I understand the nutrition is, is a really fun thing to do. So I've nutrition for a really long time and then I decided to just have a private practice. So I had a private, I have a private practice still to this day. Uh, but the director who had been there for 20 years. Yeah, the, the nutrition space is super fragmented and so that's problem number one. Also, Working in the hospital is a really great place to get a lot of knowledge and get yourself comfortable with working with all different kinds of people. So I was trained at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is an interesting place. The juxtaposition of placement is across the street from a housing project. I can tell you all the celebrities that I personally saw on my floors and all the people in between. So it just gets you in that repetition and it's a teaching hospital so you'll learn a lot. But that can't be your last stop because there's no real room for growth. Right. So you need to be able to pivot and think like, okay, where are people eating? Where can I make myself useful? What are the things that I'm most interested in? I like to take time to talk with students and ask them those questions and then come up with a plan of like what's most exciting to them and then kind of go from there. Problems and opportunities that the students that you work with are going to experience when they enter the workforce after your program. Yeah, the, the nutrition space is super, f well, I always tell people you have to listen to the patient or the client not really about you or what works for you. You have to hear what they're saying. And the best example I have is I did, I was on transplant service. I had a patient from Bangladesh. Apparently a very common breakfast is grilled grapefruit. He had just had a transplant. You can't have high citrus. It's gonna um, interact with the medication that you have to take for the rest of your life. And I was like, well, no, you just cannot have that. This man was 65 years old. <laughs> and I didn't think, wait, should I go back to the pharmacist and ask? can we do something, which we could, and we were able to adjust the medication, right? I wasn't listening to him, I just had my own agenda. So I think everybody can be healthy, no matter where they come from or what their general diet looks like, you just have to work with that person. ...to them and then kind of go from there. Very cool, very cool. And if you had like one minute to tell me how to be a good dietitian, what, what kind of advice? Growing up, you know like, 
I always say this, like all my American friends, like you, they bring like wine or like alcohol. It's like weird, like for my family, it's like we bring food, like everything centers around food. Like the kitchen is where everybody hangs out. This is what we do all the time. If you're not eating, like what is it that you're even doing? I ate every meal at home because my mom and my aunts are really good cooks. And so like, it's just what we did. I, yeah. I used to always be like, oh my God, you get pizza on Fridays? You're so lucky. <laughs> it was like unheard of. Um, but just food was like how we connect. And, you know, one aunt is always trying to updo the other aunt. Oh, and, with the cooking. With the cooking. Okay. Yeah. And my um, my husband's Italian. And so he's never really like experienced this. Right. So okay. and they always want to like please him. So they'll be like, Michael, I made rice and beans for you. And then my aunt will call my dad and be like, oh, I heard Vanessa and the kids and Michael tell them to stop by my house. She's like, I made you rice and beans. So we'll come home with like six things of rice and beans. And my children go to school with thermoses of like rice and beans and like awesome. plantains. And like, so they're not eating like the regular, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich or that is. I feel really grateful for that. I know good food. The first time I ever had mac and cheese, my roommate in college was making it in a crock pot. And I was like, your mother doesn't love you like who makes this but food is super important to my family like you can't like my my parents come over and they're like where's the food I'm like what do you want i'll make they're like you don't just have food on the stove heard of um but just food is like how we connect and you know one aunt is always trying to updo the other aunt oh, with the cooking, with the cooking. Oh. yeah and my um my husband's Italian, and so he's never really like experienced this, right? So and they always want to like please him. So they'll be like, Michael, I made rice and beans for you. And then my aunt will call my dad and be like, oh, I heard Vanessa and the kids and Michael tell them to stop by my house. She's like, I made you rice and beans. So we'll come home with like six things of rice and beans. And my children go to school with thermoses of like rice and beans and like, plants. yeah, I will say that growing up, I didn't, I, was, I wasn't exposed to a ton of food that was outside of this like Spanish Haitian culture. There was American food and then there was the traditional food that my mom and my aunts and my parents made. Yeah. But like I didn't have sushi until I was like 22 years old because my parents don't eat sushi. So that, that, that's that, it wasn't really accessible to me. But yeah, to your point, like with the advent of the internet and you know, Instagram and you, you can like look at beautiful food all day long and try different recipes and everything. There's so much access that then maybe when you are brought up in a family like yours or mine where still like you are experiencing different kinds of food that's not like the traditional of where you are yeah. then you are more adventurous to try other things oh, yeah now. whereas now i think uh in cities like new york we've got so much access to different food from different cultures how do you think like your family and your food choices have changed over time yeah i will say that growing up i didn't i was yeah, it's just like not something that we talked about, right? Like vegetables are gross. Like your mother boiled Brussels sprouts. They had a weird smell. So like, of course you didn't eat them. It was yeah. like a chore, but vegetables are delicious and you can make them in such a fun way. Roasting them, you can, you know, I get my kids to help me every Sunday we go to the supermarket, we buy carrots and cucumbers and celery and red bell peppers and they help chop them up and we put them in a container and that's the place for them to grab vegetables. So that's their first taste of vegetables. They're not boiled down and they're not flavorless. And so from there, they're not afraid when, you know, my farm one greens come, they're like, okay, I'll try that. Right. Cause I've already been trying this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think you just have to just be more open and like think of, of different ways, but plant-based is interesting because you know, it's like the, the general PSA. I always say like, 
if you told women they could drink while they were pregnant, they would drink every day. And it's probably okay to have like one glass of wine, but because we can't trust people, this is the same thing here, right? And so the plant-based thing is, yeah, you should have plants. No one is disputing this. <laughs> Definitely eat them at lunch and dinner. And if you can put them in breakfast, that's really good too. But it doesn't have to be this all or nothing thing, right? Like I could have oatmeal. I was describing to them earlier, like oatmeal and like fruit with my breakfast. And then I could have I don't know, like tofu and like greens for lunch. And then maybe at dinner time, I'm gonna have chicken and also vegetables. And I had snacks that were fruit and veggies as well. And so most of the meals were plant-based, yeah. but there, nothing bad happened because I also ate chicken. Like you gotta balance it out. Trying yeah. <laughs> this. Yeah, um, yeah I, think, I think you just have to just be more open and like think of, of different ways. But plant-based is interesting because, you know, it's like the, the general PSA. I always say like, if you told women, I think that they're full of processing and chemicals and cashews probably don't become cheese very easily. So is, is there any difference between you eating cashew cheese versus me eating an organic flank steak? Yes, I'm probably better off, right? Because I, but if you're eating all of this super processed food all the time, then, then are you, is there any benefit really? And like fruit with my breakfast, and then I could have I don't know, like tofu and like greens for lunch. And then maybe at dinner time, just think if it says organic, if it says, if it's plant-based, if it's vegan, then it automatically is good. Automatically to, it's, it's good to go. Yeah, yeah. There's no discernment there. And I don't blame people because it's pretty confusing. Right. You don't know what to do you gotta balance it out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, guys, you have to, first of all, it's nothing is a free food. So you can't just say like, I'm gonna eat tofu every single day. Like, do we know about tofu? How does it affect your body? Like, what, what is your family history? Like, we need to vary our food. That, that is the whole point. But yes, of course, less processed, more vegetables, those help us, but that doesn't mean we have to stay away from meat. People who eat meat are not, not healthy, right? You just, it's okay, like in, include all the things. Right, right, right. But always have vegetables. Yeah, but al I always say you have to have a vegetable at lunch and you always have to have a vegetable at dinner. That's minimum. Sure. And then if you wanna put it at breakfast, or you wanna have it as your snacks, that's good too. But like, I didn't know that that meant that I was now like plant-based cause I'm eating mostly organic. If it says, if it's plant-based, if it's vegan, then it automatically is good. Automatically to, it's, it's good to go. Yeah, yeah. There's no discernment there. And I don't blame people cause it's pretty confusing. Right. You don't know what to do. Yeah. So what do you tell them? Yeah, you know, people, it's funny. I think that dietitians always have this like, kind of, or for historically have been like thought to be like pretty elite in the way that they disseminate the information, like have organic dairy. And it's like, okay, well, if I live in a place that do I don't have access and there's Yoplait and, you know, red soda and Snickers and a mother goes into the, to the store and gets the Yoplait for their kid, is she doing the kid a disservice? No, there's protein there, there's, there's calcium and there's good habits that are forming because we're creating that flavor profile, right? That the child will be like, oh, 10 years from now, I'll try Siggy's because I used to have Yoplait, right? Like those are, that's the kind of thing we have to like build upon and think about. And no, like not everybody has access to beautiful organic greens, yeah. but there are different ways to get, get greens in, right? There's nothing wrong with having frozen vegetables. They are allowed to ripen and then they're flash frozen and there's minimal processing. And so you can have that. You can have you know, fruits that aren't necessarily organic. Like why does a banana need to be organic? So people just need to be, we have to do a better job at educating people so that they understand that even though they have a limited funds or maybe even limited access, there are plenty of ideas out there for them where they can eat healthfully.
red soda and Snickers and a mother goes into the to the store and gets the Yoplait for their kid, is she doing the kid a disservice? No, there's protein there, there's there's calcium, and there's good habits that are forming because we're creating. Yeah, I think about, I went to Fordham in the Bronx and you know, we had one supermarket, it was called Associated and it, you know, whatever you got on the Sunday when you went grocery shopping was what you got and right. nothing was ever consistent. And there was, there's White Castle, there's, you know, a million pizza places, there's McDonald's, there's Burger King, there's Popeyes. And then I think about like where I grew up where there's, you know, a, a fairway and there are, um, you know, oh, farmer's oh. markets and, yeah. you know, there's Costco and there's, there's access. And, and so that's a miss on, on our part, right? We need to be doing more to make sure that just because you are in an affluent community doesn't mean that we have to be loading you with strip malls full of fast food. Or they can eat healthfully. Right, right. And, and how do you see um, these kind of issues, perception of food access in communities of color versus uh, other folks around the country? And what's Yeah, I mean, people, it's like twofold, right? People who have a lot have had a lot and so maybe they're like drinking and eating their feelings and calling me because they've gained so much weight and then on the other end are like the children for example who the only meals that they got were when they went to school and on fridays they would take bags home and now they weren't eating yeah. and it was very limited and you know there are people out there that were doing the best that they could to help them but you don't think like i think about how gwyneth paltrow like her biggest flex during like during covid was like i had to eat gluten and it's like where are your <laughs> PR people. Do you have somebody to talk to help you through this? Like, you know, so disconnected from like actually what happens in the world. I think it's our job as professionals as to help any way we can. So whether that's just me getting on platforms saying like, hey, this is what you can do with like cans of things in your house. Like just giving people ideas so they could say, oh, okay, that's me. I, I can, I see myself and I can do that really quickly. Or also just like working with different organizations to give what we can so that people can, can be helped have had a lot and so maybe they're like drinking and eating their feelings and calling me because they've gained so much weight and then on the other end are like the health yeah i think because of social media people have access right so yeah. you can you can learn whatever you want to learn there is somebody out there that you can put you know, hang your hat on there's this one dietitian phd his name is kevin clatt and he is in texas and he's amazing and he takes all the research and he breaks it down in english and it's awesome so you could follow somebody like that and say i read this article here but this guy's talking about it in this way and i think that is like the best thing that's come out of this whole social media situation <laughs> yeah i think about this one couple they found me because uh the husband had type 2 diabetes and they have a small child and they were going to their primary care physician and they weren't seeing any change. Like his blood sugars were hanging out around 200. And for people who don't know, like it should be 100. Like right, 80 to 100 is, okay. is good, right? Okay. And a normal A1C is anything below 5.7 and his was about eight. What's A1C? It's the amount of sh blood glucose, like so the sugar in your blood over three months, okay. right? Like, I didn't know Yeah, that. no, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, I'm like, I'm always like, well, who do I need? So, he, they were really frustrated and yeah. they, they were going vegan. They didn't know what to do. There's so much noise. Can you help me? They write about me and they're like, can you help? And I was like, sure. And I, I always think about this story because it was very obvious that he, he's not a doctor or a lawyer, but he cares about his health and his wife cares about his health. And so just because he doesn't look the part, he, he's trying. So yeah. why, why were we dismissing him? Right.
right? That That's like nobody is doing their job here. So I took this guy in like nine months, dropped him 30 pounds. His A1C is normal. He's So now he's like 5.6. He His blood sugar is, you know, 90, like normal. And he's like, you saved my life. I am going to see my daughter grow up. And I'm like, yeah. But he was high functioning and willing to do the work. Someone just had to teach him. Yeah, it makes me feel good every time I tell that story. He's a good guy. Yeah, they're good people. Someone just had to teach him. That's great. Yeah, it makes me feel good every time I tell that story. He's a good guy. Yeah, they're good people. <laughs> yeah, it actually happened to me over this last year. I had someone who, you know, like saying that you're an alcoholic is like self-diagnosis, right? No one can tell you that. But like from their behaviors and the things that they were doing, I we would talk about the alcohol and like, okay, so you're doing all the things with regards to your food, but the alcohol is a barrier and it seems that you are using it as a crutch. You know, like we would just kind of have this conversation over and over again. So now the person is like eight months sober and feeling really good. And that wasn't me saying like, you're an alcoholic. That was just this self-reflection, right? Like you're doing all this work and we're doing all this stuff, to, these things to change our, our health and do better for ourselves. But there's this one thing that I can't seem to give up. Like, why is that? A lot of like introspection and, and having success. So that made me feel happy. I think when you change your diet and when people make lifestyle changes, right? I think sometimes you can have uh, unintended consequences that are actually really positive. Like, do you have examples where that might happen? Yeah, it actually happened to me. Yeah, like people, you know, the stages of change, right? You're contemplative and action and you vacillate between the two all the time. And that's very normal. And I think people feel some kind of guilt if they don't like hit it hard and do it right away. Right. But that's okay. To your point, there's all these circumstances that are happening. Like life is happening. And just because something doesn't necessarily bother you, it can bother your partner, for example. So you have to respect that and feel okay working people through that. Feeling really good. And that wasn't me saying like, you're an alcoholic. That was just this self-reflection right like you're doing all this work and we're doing all this stuff to, these things to change our our health and well going to the doctor and someone telling you like the the weight went up from the last time like a significant amount or there are lab values that are out of range maybe also you don't feel that great so perhaps you have joint issues or maybe you have GI issues and, and you've gone to the doctor and that hasn't worked and like a lot of times people are just curious they're like hey you know I don't really know about food that much and I'm really trying to take better control of my health and I think it starts with food so can you just help me through that and sometimes it's that simple yeah, yeah. kind of guilt if they don't like hit it hard and do it right away but that's okay to your point there's all these circumstances that are happening like life is happening and just because something doesn't necessarily bother you it can bother your partner for example so you have to respect that and feel okay working people through that yeah, well, I mean, generationally, you can't tell older people anything. Like, this is the food. Like, because, you know, if you th I think about my mother who's like, you, oh, you don't like that? You have an allergy? She's like, in my third world country, nobody has allergies because there's no food. And my mom talks about how in Haiti, like, wealth and poverty exist together, simultaneously, side by side. So it's very in your face. So they don't have those same luxuries. So as far as my mom is concerned, you just get what you get and you don't get upset. Like, you don't have... You don't, how do you have the nerve to say you don't like something? Uh, so, and my husband's family is that they are kind of like the same in that way. But for me, I'm my thing is you have to try it first. If you don't like it, then you don't have to eat it, but you have to at least try it. We have pretty similar diets, and we do a lot of cooking in the family. Whereas you know, my sister and my dad are more like you know stuck in the yeah. particular way of doing. Yeah, 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 things. yeah, yeah. Before you really know if you really like something, yeah. and you know, you think about kids, like their taste buds are more bitter. 
So when people are like, how come my kid doesn't want to eat these things? It's like, well, because their palate is just not like elevated enough. You got to give them some time. So it's like you, I tell my kids, you have to eat a vegetable every day at lunch and dinner. Find the one that you like and just eat it. It's like, okay, fine. So we've got like the four that we like and we eat them and that's fine. Because yeah. they have to be trained in that flavor so that they get used to it and will be willing to try other things. So as far as my mom is concerned, you just get what you get and you don't get upset. Like you don't have, you don't, how do you have the nerve to say you don't like something? Uh, so, and my husband's family is that they are kind of like the same in that way. But for, yeah, yeah. So right now, you know, everyone's talking about the division, uh, intuitive eating and intuitive eating comes from eating competence. And the woman's name is Ellen Satter. And she says that your job is the division of responsibility. So we prepare the food and we provide the food and we don't comment on that. And so when you want your kid to try roasted Brussels sprouts, you would have to, you have to provide the food that your child identifies as safe and then provide that food and you just keep providing it. And if the kid picks it up, if the kid licks it, if the kid smells it, that's a win. Eventually they will eat it. But it also, how do you talk about food with your kid? What are the types of foods your kid is allowed to eat? So like my kids can eat candy whenever they want and they never eat it. Only on Halloween, I, on Halloween, I'm like, eat all the candy you want. So my daughter is always like, oh my gosh, my stomach hurts and, and like doesn't eat candy for a year. My son is like, this is amazing. <laughs> so then I'll be like, okay, well you can only have one candy right. per day, but it's there and it's easily accessible because sometimes when they want a snack and they ask for chips, they have it. And sometimes I tell them they need to go get a piece of fruit. And so because it's always there and nothing is forbidden, yeah. they get pretty good at like self-regulating. So you don't need to hide the food. You need to trick them. They will eat it eventually. You just have to keep providing it. And so when you want your kid to try roasted Brussels sprouts, you would have to, you have to provide the food that your child me. I tell this kids all the time to people, I pay for my kids to go to school uh -huh. and they sell juice as like a snack. Uh -huh. And I told the principal the other day, I was like, you should be arrested because that is just like unconscionable. Like the fact that you would sell juice at the school is ridiculous. There's an obesity epidemic with, with children that's so bad. For whatever reason, they're not providing food. They don't think about it. They don't understand like, work with purveyors work, like we can't provide vegetables because they're too expensive i'm like okay well i'm gonna donate a tower garden to every single class and then the kids can grow their own vegetables no we can't do that because someone has to teach the curriculum great i'm gonna come teach about food no we can't do that and then i think i pay for my kid to go to the school what happens to the kids who go to public school and we're providing them their only meals for the day like, like nobody thinks about that because it's not important on, on the budget line. And I don't know what the answer is to make that change. I just know it's very complicated and sometimes depressing. <laughs> Go to school and they sell juice as like a snack. And I told the principal the other day, I was like, you should be arrested because that is just like unconscionable. Like the fact that you would sell juice at the school is ridiculous. There's an obesity epidemic with, with children that's so bad. For whatever reason, they're not providing food they don't think about it they don't understand like work with purveyors work, like we can't provide vegetables because they're too expensive i'm like okay well i'm gonna donate a tower garden to every single class and yeah so kids are like little narcissists and they want to be like in control and you know they want to be in control right and they, they want to be the one that produced so if you just gave them a hand in this they would love it so getting little kids to 
grow their own fruits and vegetables, then they will eat it because they'll say, I made this. Yeah. I think we do do kids a disservice. We don't value them because we're always trying to push something on them. We don't see them as human beings. And I'm not suggesting that we defer to the children all the time, but give them an opportunity to say that they like something or don't like something. I don't like to eat oatmeal every day, so why does my kid have to eat the oatmeal every day? They're allowed to have preference. It's okay. Right. Yeah. But I think there's such a huge opportunity there because wouldn't you like to come into my kid's school and like, provide like some sort of vertical farm for them and then they could grow their own food and sure, be great. like amazing and yeah. like actually probably more cost effective and less taxing on the, the U.S. healthcare system in the end. Yeah. Help kids understand about food. Yeah, so kids are like little narcissists and they want to be like in control and you know, they want to be in control, right? And they, they want to be the one that produced. So if you just gave them a hand in this, they would love it. So getting little kids to grow their own fruits and vegetables, then they will eat it because they'll say, I made this. Yeah. I think we do do kids a disservice. We don't value them because we're always trying to push something on them. We don't see them as human beings. I'm not suggesting that we defer to the children all the time, but give them an opportunity to say that they like something or don't like something. I don't like to eat oatmeal every day, so why does my kid have to eat the oatmeal every day? They're allowed to have preference, it's okay. Right. Yeah. But I think there's such a huge opportunity there because wouldn't you like to come into my kid's school and like? provide like some sort of vertical farm for them and then they could yeah I one of my best friends is English and he's like not adventurous with food and so I'm like yeah I, I see and he's like almost 50 and he's like yeah growing up we didn't have a lot I'm like got it yeah, I think it seems like the, the food in schools overall obviously Michelle Obama was trying to look into this several years ago I think the situation has improved a bit but there seems to be a long way to go yeah um, and certainly you know I remember back in school um, we had school lunches. I just want people to know that food and health and wellness is for them, no matter like what they look like, what the color of their skin, socioeconomic class. Like there is a way for you to have control over your health and live health like a healthy lifestyle without breaking your bank. It's possible. Those are the days. But England has good food now. It does now. Yeah. And I really credit Quincy. Yeah. yeah. So we have a, I have a private practice called Kulina Health. I founded it with another RD, Tamar Samuels. And hopefully we get some funding and we'll add a tech layer and be a little bit more um, efficient. Because historically, RD practices are never very profitable. So people don't really do them or they don't do them well. We have been doing it well, but we need that funding to kind of, you know, add that tech layer and make it better and compete in that digital space. But we take insurance. We take most commercial insurances and Medicaid. Medicare is a little tricky because they don't want to, they don't want anyone on their platforms, but that's a different story. Um, so like you can come see us, right? And that, that's just like one way for at least for me, that I'm able to make this accessible to other people. Economic class, like there is a way for you. Yeah, we've got big plans. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna compete with all the people. But, um, you know, like right now we have 18 dietitians. This time last year we only had four, <laughs> so so it just kind of grew and got bigger and bigger. I think it's the fact that we talk about nutrition in a different way. Um, we're very relatable. There's somebody for everybody, and it's. The accountability piece we know, right? Like nooms and Weight Watchers of the world, no, take a picture of your food and somebody, some health coach, somebody's gonna tell you. But it's that science and that personalization that is important and that's what we do and we do it really well. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Better and compete in that digital space. But we take insurance. We take most commercial insurance. Oh, it's mental. I haven't slept in like two weeks. Sometimes, like last night, I woke up in the, in the middle of the night and my husband and the dog are laying in the bed like snoring and I'm like, <laughs> Everybody go to sleep. I'm able to make this accessible to other people.
And tell me more about Karina Health and the plans. Yeah, it, yeah and, we, and we got the dog during quarantine. Our dog of 14 years died, and so then we got this new dog because my husband would be like literally crying, so we got Freddie. Yeah. And every time I see Freddie, I think to myself, like, Marley wouldn't have the nerve. Like, Marley was, it was like a little Yorkie and like slept in a little corner, and Freddie is like, like the king. <laughs> <laughs> And it's yeah, it takes over. So they sleep peacefully. My children sleep in two minutes. You know, I send them to bed and they are they pass out like mid sentence, and I'm I'm up. Science and that personalization that is important, and that's what we do, and we do it really well. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Yeah, uh, KalinaHealth.com, Vanessa Rosetto RD, or Kalina Health on Instagram, and come check us out. Sometimes, like last night, I woke up in the, in the middle of the night and my husband and the dog are laying in the bed like, um, this farm is amazing. Also, come and check it out because the lighting is good for any selfie that you take. Yes. Um, but, you know, you're doing really good work here and it's, I'm, I'm grateful to be part of it. I'm grateful to send students here. So thank you. And thanks for having me on. New dog because my husband would yeah, so good. literally crying. So we got Freddie. Yeah. And every time I see Freddie, I think to myself like, Marley wouldn't have the nerve. Like Marley was, it was like a little Yorkie and like slept in a little corner. And Freddie is like, like the king. <laughs> so, yeah, it takes over. So they sleep peacefully. My children sleep in two minutes. You know, I send them to bed and they are, they pass out like mid sentence and I'm, I'm up hopefully. Hopefully you'll get some sleep soon, soon. Soon, yeah. yeah. Well, and how can people find you online if they want to follow you? Yeah, uh, KalinaHealth.com, Vanessa Rosetto RD, or Kalina.